Hello and welcome to Impact Quantum, a podcast about quantum computing for developers and engineers. In this episode, Frank and Andy speak with Lynn Langett and her journey from developer to quantum developer. This episode is entitled Developing for Quantum Computing and is rated 3 Schrodinger's, but don't let that scare you off. Now on with the show. But, first, here's some dubstep. Hello and welcome to Impact Quantum, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of quantum computing, but from a point of view of a software engineer, a data engineer, or a machine learning architect or engineer, whatever the cool title is these days. And with me on this uh, this uh, journey, um, I'm tr- I keep trying not to use the same kind of verbiage uh, that we use on Data Driven, our main podcast <laughs> or our other podcast, but uh, some habits die hard. How's it going, Andy? It's going well, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I am uh, got my matrix screensaver in the background. So if you're watching this on video, you'll see that. If you're not, just pretend I'm on the Nebuchadnezzar. Um, <laughs> but uh, there is no glitch in the matrix, but we do have a, a bit of deja vu. I'm we excited do? about our guest. We do. Uh, our guest appeared on one of the first, uh, I think the second um, podcast we ever recorded for Data Driven. And now she's back uh, because she's doing some work in quantum computing. And um, our guest is a, is a triple threat. Maybe now she's a quadruple threat. I don't know. We'll have to ask her. But she's a Microsoft MVP, a Google uh, equivalent of MVP. They call it something else. And an AWS um, MVP as well. Uh, welcome back, Lynn. Welcome to Impact Quantum. Uh, it's good to have you here. Great. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Cool. Welcome back, Lynn. I, I think, Frank, she's a superposition threat at this point. <laughs> she could be. She could be. Uh, so so Lynn reached out because she saw that we uh, we launched Impact Quantum and we were you know getting some momentum behind it. And um, she said that, hey, would you mind having me on the show? And I said, of course. We, you know, you're the first person, Lynn, to be on both. Uh, and given your um, uh, your footprint in in many worlds of the AWS ecosystem, the Google ecosystem, and the Microsoft ecosystem, I couldn't think of anyone better to kind of also be on this show as well, so. Thanks. So uh, one of the first questions we ask is, what's your quantum origin story? How did we get here? Um, you know, you reached out saying that you had just completed uh, a study group. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, I, well, way back, um, even before that, how I really got started was I was in an airport with a fellow developer of mine and we saw some other developers who had t-shirts that said, I program in quantum. And um, we unashamedly just went up to these people and harangued them. And it (laughs) turned out they were from D-Wave. And um, this was like five years ago. And um, the person I was with was a little bit more overzealous than I was. So I think they were slightly frightened of him. And so I was good. It cop, wasn't bad. Kim, was it? I was going to say, you said cop. him, so it can't be Kim. No, so. it, was, it, was, it was good cop, bad cop. So, mm-hmm. um, so I convinced these folks that we were tech educators and that they would be well served by giving us access to their um, early prototype. And we did get access. Nice. <laughs> so, so this would back, be like 2016-ish. Yeah, really a long time ago. Wow. So way back when um, we got access to the D-Wave simulator and um, 
I was really, it was just intellectual curiosity at that point and kind of, you know, just being cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like we really, we, we like, if we could get the sample code to run, that was about all we were doing. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, so the person I was doing it with has a background in physics, has a degree in physics, which is really, really useful when you get into this world. And I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of knowledge transfer and I found the, the explanations to be really too difficult to make any practical use of, but I was my, you know, I'm a curious gal. So my curiosity was kind of peaked. And so I tried to read some, you know, quantum programming made easy from MIT press, which is hilarious. Cause it, the, you know, so much math by page two, you're crying. Um, <laughs> so, so I just couldn't, I just couldn't make progress. Right. I just could not make progress. So, uh, um, it was about a year and a half ago. I was at O'Reilly, the headquarters in Sebastopol, and they said, uh, take a book. And so um, this book that I'm holding up, and I'll also say for the people listening, is um, O'Reilly. It's called Programming Quantum Computers. And it is designed for us developers or data people, not mathematicians, not physicists, to start to understand how to use quantum programming paradigms. I was like, oh, this is so awesome. Oh, this is what I want. Yeah. So, um, you know, we all have that overconfidence. So I started <laughs> reading it and I was like, okay, this is great. This is great. Uh, but I don't, oh, what am I going to do? This is like the lowest level. So I had just finished a book club um, for another topic and I found it to be really great. Um, it was like a college study group, you know, um, it's been a while since we've been in college and I was like, oh yeah, that's why you do that. And so I said, I, I just put it out there in Twitter and I was like, hey, developer friends, does somebody want to do this? And um, it turned into a 14 week long project. And we had, from, cool. yeah, we had a quantum number of developers. So we had from <laughs> three to 20, right? Um, <laughs> and we recorded everything. So one of the reasons I wanted to come on your podcast is because I'm a big believer in any technical learning that you leave kind of a path for other people to kind of build, right? And so I think this is gonna be a journey a lot of people are gonna be going on. And so what we did is we have a Slack and I still have the Slack open. We have um, a YouTube um, playlist that has, um, and each one was an hour. So it's like 15 hours worth of content on this book. Um, we oh, also, wow. yeah, the, the, the ones that really worked on it, there were like three or four of us. We also went through, and what the authors did is they created a JavaScript library and a simulator. So it's not real quantum, but it's quantum concepts with a yep. visualizer. So it's real accessible, and you can run it in your browser, install nothing. Do you know? So, That's so really we, cool. Yeah. So we went through and we refactored the code as a learning exercise. Because, you know, as much as the authors who are physicists, who are quantum programmers, tried to make it accessible... You know, it's really, really hard to have beginner's mind, so they skip some steps sometimes, sure. you know? And so we would, as a group of developers, we would go through and we would work through as best we could to figure out how, what steps in the ladder were missing. So, um, yeah, so it was a really fun exercise, and I'm going to be doing some more stuff, and so that's why I wanted to come on and kind of help grow the community. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Lynn. And that is phenomenal. What an idea. Wow. I love it. I love it. We'll definitely have to get the link if you're sharing them, uh, the link to the YouTube playlist, because there, there is a lot of material out there. And, and, and my frustration has been, and this is part of why 
we really well we started the show a year ago but most of it was documenting my journey into quantum which i would i just like you i'd start and then i'd hit a wall and then mm -hmm. i have it you know it used to be like 15 minutes into reading quantum stuff i'd get a headache <laughs> and i'd have to stop now at about 45 minutes and, and push almost pushing an hour at this point so <laughs> i'm very i'm very proud of that but uh but you're right i mean there there's definitely there's definitely if you're if you're a physicist and you're, you're, you you like the the math right the first page of the math had you like in tears, like there, there's definitely a lot of that, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, for me, so, so funny while we're talking about books is that this book was an interesting read, but I, I don't feel like it really was for everyone. Like mm -hmm. there's a point about halfway through where it's just like, it's just like a wall, like it's just, you know, but, um, but no, nah, I, I seen that book and I, and I often wondered, was it any good? And I like the idea of the study approach, the study group approach, cause it's, um, it's been longer than I care to admit uh, since I've been in college. Kurt Cobain was alive when I was in school. Um, so, but I mean, it, 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 it's definitely very useful. So what was, so you think that your quantum aha moment, like your quantum origin story was just seeing those, those D-Wave guys in their t-shirts? Well, it's combined because um, in my professional work, I'm a, I have my own company. I'm a cloud architect and I build um, high uh, volume, highly performant um, data pipelines. And about five or six years ago, I switched into medical research because a friend of mine got cancer and she didn't have access to treatment and I just wanted to. And so I did. And so I've been um, working with um, cancer bioinformatic research, which is based on genomics, which is some of the biggest volume data pipelines that exist. And, you know, they're going, they're in the cloud. Um, interestingly, of course, in the time of COVID, um, most of my clients pivoted to COVID research. So 2020 was like a massively busy year for me, right? Um, so what I'm seeing is I'm seeing the need for, you know, super powerful um, uh, platforms. And, you know, whether it's machine learning, so my clients are using um, GPUs or even TPUs if they're in Google, or if it's um, specialty hardware, like I have, um, there's a set of bioinformatics tools that run on FPGA. So this, this concept of bursting to specialty hardware and, uh, is really what has kind of escalated my current interest beyond academic because burst to QPU is kind of the logical, you know, next progression. Like when is that a fit for clients? In what problem states is that a fit? So, you know, I kind of have like these two realms. I have like where I am learning in quantum, which is kind of like down here. And then I have where the research is and algorithm um, speed up. Cause I'm, you know, a super nerd, like all of us listening here. And just for fun, I read academic papers. And so, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen like the quantum routing optimization, um, prop, you know, application of, this is an application of QPUs. So, so, how could that then apply to bioinformatics research, right? That's what I'm trying to figure out because um, uh, my uh, academic background, you guys may or may not know, is actually linguistics and foreign languages. And so- actually, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I've been, I've been really well served as a translating architect, translating different paradigms. And I'm really good at picking up like taxonomies, which allowed me to go faster into bioinformatics because it's kind of like medicine in a way, right? So, um, so, so where 
burst to QPU is being used now that I see, which is typical, is, is financial markets, like whoever has the most money, right? They always use the most premium thing. And so what I want to do is I want to understand from financial markets what's being used and be able to translate that over to bioinformatics to speed up research. That's, that's, that's my motivation to do this. It's very ambitious, right? <laughs> but it's definitely needed. It's, it's awesome. one of those one of those things. Sorry, Andy, I cut you off. Yeah, and you, that's kind of, you mentioned um, that you're, I don't know if you were just getting into it or for something you had just started working with or, or been doing a while on the Data Driven podcast, uh, that you were on, and gosh, I think we recorded that in 2017, Frank. Um, yeah, February. So we'll we'll put a link to that in the show notes, uh, so our listeners and viewers now can uh, can go check that out. Um, I, I find that fascinating, as you know, I am a, a data integration slash engineering, whatever you want to call it today, uh, person as well, and I find that bursty uh, stuff very interesting i don't have as i don't read as fast as you lynn okay that's that's it i promise you that's it but i've seen the papers you're talking about i've wanted to read them i've got uh, links uh stored in my favorites for it but i've just been so incredibly busy helping people <laughs> companies mostly with uh with that sort of stuff so i'm jealous and uh when i grow up i want to be just like you. <laughs> You, so, I would say aim but higher, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you shared a story. You shared a story, I think, of your friend, not a, a little bit, just in passing um, back then. But you also shared some interesting stories about one of your clients um, that was doing, I think it was uh, cancer genome sequencing, maybe out of Australia, if memory serves. I, I may be messing that all up. No, that's but right. It's fascinating. Work. And is that so? Is, I, I imagine that the COVID research you talked about and your clients are doing, that 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 will maybe help speed some of that up or or you know move that along as well. That Has that been your experience? Well, that is the hope. I mean, one of the things that's been really fascinating to see is bioinformatics uh, research as a group has you know coming more slowly to the cloud because it's academic, right? But it's being forced because of the um, ability to sequence and. It's not. It's no longer just DNA sequencing. It's RNA sequencing, which is you know further down the um, the biological chain, and uh, there there's exponentially more data. It's called, it's called single cell RNA. So it's by your cell type what is expressed. So what COVID has done is it's it's accelerated single cell RNA research, which is applicable to cancer or any other disease, because as people were trying to figure out how to combat COVID. Um, the the impact in the body is, you know, it, it destroys parts of the body. So that's a similar conceptually to cancer. So the single cell RNA um, uh, data volumes, you know, really just, wow, they got huge this last year. And then you combine that with, we had this unprecedented effort um, uh, between teams all over the world, because traditionally in academic research, you're your data is siloed, which is kind of a problem because you're, you know, you want to keep your data so that you can publish and get your research money. But because it was a pandemic, that kind of all went out the window. Like I was on calls where there was one that just was so stunning. There were 12 slides and it was 12 research labs around the world. And it was the entire disease progression from, and it was in the lungs from, from when the person got it all the way to when they died. Um, 
And it was all, you know, it was all the way through 12 different, and it, it was like, it's the dream. Like we're one tech world, best minds in the world to solve the problem. So I want, yeah. I want us to go faster. So what I, I believe will come out of this is more collaboration, which will result in more, even more volumes of data, which cannot be handled by current um, computational methods, even on the cloud. So it will accelerate the interest um, in these newer technologies, including QPUs. You know, and I could be maybe too optimistic, but I'm going with it. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll be that person the when, the when the recruiter says, you know, do you have 20 years or 10 years of Q sharp experience or Q pound? And you'll be like, yes, in fact, I do. <laughs> um, so what what is the... I have a lot of questions, but one, the first one is what do you, how does uh, alpha fold, which is, I know that's a deep learning project. I know that's strictly speaking is in quantum and what's your thoughts on that and that sort of approach? Well, it is interesting because like there is this free conference, I think it's quarterly. Um, it's called quantum computing and it's a mix of industry and academia. And I will listen to it because I want to learn about how to, I'm an architect. So, you know, when you're using, when bursting the QPU, what you're doing is you have a classical portion and a, and a quantum portion, just like GPU. And so I want to understand how, which classes of problems can be optimized that way. I'm not a chemist, but um, I'll tell you just from a, like an overview point, I would say a quarter of the talks presented are on chemistry. So the applications for um, understanding chemical interactions, including the algorithm AlphaFold, seem to me to be one of the premier um, implementations of quantum computing. And I mean, again, even if you just have a cursory understanding, the all by all by all aspect of um, quantum computing makes sense when you're trying to figure out chemical reactions. Like it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, let's see all of them and let's see the probability. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm probably like really butchering this in an oversimplified way, but my observation is there seems to be a lot of work in the, in the um, chemical, chemistry and uh, quantum, a lot, a lot. It makes sense. And I started my college career to be a chemical engineer. So uh, chemistry yeah. touches a lot of things, biology, uh -huh. uh, material science, um, probably other stuff I can't think of right now, energy production for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that kind of matures. Uh, what, what, what are the tools and languages? Cause you, you know, there's, I, we mentioned Q sharp, but I know there's also Qiskit, which I've also heard pronounced Quiskit. I don't know, maybe you yeah. can set us straight. Uh, what other sorts of environments are there? Yeah. So that, you know, that's my, that's my thing, right? I want easy setup. I want easy access. So I've been really digging into that hard because when I was working on the book club, if I couldn't understand, it was like, okay, where do I go? Where are some other sources? Because this is a kind of a toy library. So I wanted to go out to the real thing. So the TLDR is I found the most rich samples in usability for learning in the IBM environment with Kiskit um, because they have uh, the 3D visualizer and I'm a visual learner. So I really, really love to see their block spheres and, um, when I debug through the quantum, I call it like the musical score, the, you know, the top where the, we have the quantum operations and you're trying to understand what's actually happening. Having Is that the that, thing with the gates? Yes, having okay. those tools and then having the block spheres so you can see what is the positions 
um, and it actually like animates um, because oh, the book has, yeah, the book has circles, 2D, but IBM has 3D. Another thing that IBM has is, um, you know, the underlying language is a C style language, like Open OpenQASM or whatever it's called. Kiskit is a Python library on top of that. And so when you run, um, whether the Kiskit or the OpenQASM, it is like a, a C sharp and it has an intermediate layer because certain quantum operations can be run on certain quantum hardware. Um, and so something like a Hadamard gate might, in that environment, it, it's um, decomposed into um, a lower level quantum operations, which is really, really important for um, efficiency, which is the whole point, right? Um, and IBM does a really good job in their um, tutorials explaining how to evaluate, like how much resources will you actually have? Um, so I really, really liked that because that, again, is that practical aspect. And they have both, you know, like all the big guys, they have a local simulator and then they have their um, simulators before you run on their actual um, hardware. And you have the opportunity to understand what the overhead would be. And usually at this stage of the game, you're rewriting, just like we did in the old days with the SQL queries, right? With the query optimizer, we're rewriting yeah. so that we use a certain amount of um, resources. Um, and they have some Kiskit videos that are really clear on how to do that. So I really like that. So I got the most out of IBM. That being said, um, Microsoft has Q-sharp Cohen's and Kata's, which um, I think are really, really interesting and help you to learn the language. They do have a connection with um, Python libraries, so you can run in Jupyter Notebooks, which is kind of the preferred way to you know, do this kind of stuff. Um, Google has CERC, which is a Python library. Um, and again, you can run that on Colabs, which I like the zero setup because you, know, you have enough going on. Amazon has Bracket, and um, they run in Jupyter Notebooks as well, their SageMaker Notebooks. And they have, um, very interesting, they have local simulator, and then they have three different cloud simulators, which help you to simulate based on the type of problem, whether, for example, it's a TensorFlow program, which is machine learning optimization, or whether it's not. Um, and also the hardware that you're running on, because they have Rigetti, and they have INQ, and they have D-Wave, and the different hardware is implemented differently. It's kind of like way back, I can say this stuff because we're all friends here, like when mobile <laughs> phones didn't have like a, a single standard and you had you know 27 different mobile phones, that's kind of the state of you know actually working with QPUs. And um, you know these are some of the practicalities that trying to go beyond the book really helped me getting into these programming environments. So it sounds like there's no real high level language yet like you would have you know during my youth i would write video games but i'd have to write it you know the same game i mean my friend would write it because he had the other computer so like if i wanted to write a video game like there was no common like assembly language right so or you know there isn't now but like you had languages like c that would kind of abstract as much of that as possible phones is a great example for anyone under a certain age, right? <laughs> but, um, I, you know, you mentioned uh, that the IBM uh, tutorials or, or, or development environment would, if you can't run a proper Hadamard gate, and we should probably explain that at some point in a future show, <laughs> what a Hadamard gate is, uh, but 
you know, you can kind of emulate it based on different hardware. Is that, do I have that about right? Is yes. it kind of like, yeah. And you can actually see it. So you can see both with the composer and you can also see just like if you use, um, the um, ILDASM for C-sharp, you can see the intermediate language. In the IBM environment, you can see how, what it's actually doing, which is really, really interesting. The tooling in IBM is uh, the best, I think, which I was surprised, to be honest with you. I, I mean, just being totally transparent, I haven't used IBM Cloud for much, but I would really definitely recommend it to the listeners when you're learning and because they have a lot of free and so there's no cost and the tooling is just nice. the best. That's good to know. We'll That's definitely good to put know. a link in there, uh, in the show notes. We'll put a link into to that, uh, and and let let listeners know. So, how would you recommend people get to that point, Lynn, where they're ready to take advantage of the free offers from IBM? And and it sounded to me like it was it was kind of a, a line of demarcation, maybe from beginner to to that level of learning. That seemed more practical, if I'm understanding mm -hmm. you correctly. Well, you know, I, I just I feel like this is a really shameless plug, but because I um, have I like to leave a trail and I did all this work kind of like, no, there was no trail. I couldn't find anything. Right. Everything was right. specific. And so as your listeners may know, I do courses on LinkedIn learning. And so right. I will be making a course this winter oh, nice. called okay. um, learning quantum programming, which basically that is the goal of the course. Now, if people nice. want to get started now, um, one of the things I do with my courses is I always make a companion GitHub repo, which is totally free. And so I already have that. So if you go to my GitHub, which is just me, Lynn Langett, and you go learn, it's learn or learning. Let me look here. Learn, learning, learning quantum. Um, then uh, they can actually just kind of see my path. Because, nice. um, yeah, because I'm just... Comp you know, compiling all my links and my resources. Plus I've drawn some diagrams, you know, I've made some charts of, you know, like what are the languages? What are the libraries? Um, so I, you know, cause again, I want to build a learning community, right? Yeah. That's the whole point here. Another thing, this is another reason I'm kind of come on here. I really, really like the uh, programming language learning platform exorcism. Have you guys heard of this? No, I have not. So it is a free platform. They just launched version three and it has 55 different programming languages on it. And the, um, the idea is that you do coding um, lessons, but it's test driven. So you get a, a written description of what the, the problem is. And it starts out, you know, really easy with, you know, things like FizzBuzz and stuff like that. And then it advances. And then they have the test suite. And what version three of this has done, which is one of the reasons I'm so interested in it, is when you go to work on the language, if the people who created the language track have detailed the Docker specification, just like in, in a GitHub now, where you can have an um, in-browser IDE, Exorcism has that. And oh, I'll nice. have, yeah, I'll have the test runners. So I've actually um, engaged with them to see if, um, I could work with the Microsoft Q Sharp language team and build a Q Sharp track on Exorcism, and oh, they've nice. they've agreed. So this is a non-trivial task. So community, sure. community, right? <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna help, my vision is to take the Q Sharp Cohens, which already exist, which are kind of test driven, and to bring that in. Um, the the difficult things are going to be, if I think we're probably just going to go with the the low hanging fruit, which is a text visualizer, which is kind of, you know what I mean, but 
I, I'm not like, this is a hobby project. So, um, sure. but anyway, so, so, uh, yeah, so this is literally a project I am just starting with the Microsoft Q sharp team. Um, and it's completely open source community can contribute. Um, and the idea is to have this environment, um, that'll be, you know, test driven, which will be, I think the first test driven quantum language. So, you know, these are That's the things cool. I do for my hobbies. <laughs> That's cool. And the name, every time I live, not, I live not that far from the, uh, the famous stairs from the exorcist movie. So. <laughs> well, it comes every from time I drive past George exercise. Channel. It comes from exercise. So exorcism. Oh, okay. So yeah, because a lot of people are like, "What? This is what, code is the devil? No, this is horrible. No, it's oh, it's spelled <laughs> a little differently. We'll have to yeah, make sure yeah, the yeah, proper yeah. URL is yeah, 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 in the show notes. You'll have to send that to right. us. <laughs> that, could, we, that could get dangerous fast. If you're yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. That Lynn, that's a, outstanding. Thank you so much for being willing to do that. For uh, from the first thing you mentioned, where. On YouTube, you've got the 15 hours of training walking you through the book and then, you know, just sharing with us ways we can continue our education, kind of taking it to the next level at the IBM cloud. Um, and now these courses you're doing on LinkedIn learning and uh, with exorcism, I imagine those are two different projects, right? Yeah, they're two different projects. So, you know, I live in Minnesota and we have long, cold winters. And so I like to do... I like to do challenging tech projects. Um, this is how I, because I used to live in California for many years and I came back here for family. And so it's, it's just a thing because I grew up here. And so in the winter, you know, a lot of people take on crafts. So this is my version of crafts. That's <laughs> oh, I'm cool. there. I, I, I hate writing in the summer. When the weather gets warm around here, starting in March, April, Right. I'm just, I don't want to write, but I'm exactly, I'm coming up on the writing time of year. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's just um, great. Plus, if you're in, if you're in Minnesota, then, you know, you could have um, potentially a, you know, a quantum computer cooled uh, just enough, potentially. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm sure it feels that cold. It may not be cold enough. Indeed. So, so what, what was fascinating to me, and, and maybe you, you kind of touched on this, what exactly is a Hadamard gate? So, How would you explain it to developers? So, so the idea with quantum is, you know, it goes beyond one or zero. Um, and it lends itself very, very nicely to machine learning because machine learning is probabilistic, right? And quantum computing is probabilistic. And so one of the things that was interesting to me when I was working with this group is I was the only person in doing the book um, that had machine learning. All the rest of them were, um, you know, very traditional, mostly .NET developers. They didn't have yeah. machine learning. And so, you know, um, I, I will get to the Hadamard gate, by the way, but one of, one, of the, um, one, of the, one of the things that I found is that if you have some background in machine learning so you can have an idea of probabilistic computing, you're going to have an easier time because the fact that something's not one or zero, but it has a probability of being one or zero, if you already have that concept for machine learning, then you are going to have, like, there was a, there's a lot of times in the 15 hours where the developers are like, why does it change? I don't like the fact that it changes every time you run it. This is bothering me. And I just want to say to them, just get over it. That's the way it works. And that is effective for this. I mean, in IBM, for example, when you run anything that you get it, they call it slots and you run it a thousand slots and they show you the probability of one or zero. So 
the idea of um, this is that you can put your computational resources into a state uh, that is going to become one or zero, has a probability of becoming one or zero when it is measured. And the idea of a Hadamard gate is you take your original computational resources and you put them in a state that will become a one or a zero when it's measured. And one of the ways that I've seen it explained that I like a lot is if you took a coin and you were spinning it. So when you, when you Hadamard or H, apply H gate to the underlying qubit, it's like picking the coin up and spinning it. Because mm. when you are putting it into that, it's called a superposition, while the time the Hadamard gate is being executed, it is not a one or a zero. And most people will know the famous physics light slit experiment where when you measure something, then you see what it is. And it, that, is, that is what is going on. And again, that's physics from a non-physicist. So right, right. <laughs> I don't know we, if that makes sense, but... It made it sense to sense. me. It yeah, made sense to Frank, me. Frank has coined a, um, a measurement of difficulty for understanding quantum concepts. And I'm going to put him on the spot here and just ask you, Frank. Uh, I rate each you know, show from zero to... Uh, originally it was zero to five, but I think I'm going to make zero to ten uh, Schrodinger's. Yeah, Schrodinger's. How many Schrodingers so, do you think that explanation? I think we're at three or four. Yeah, I. It feels because so it's going to scare some people off, basically. <laughs> you know, anything two or less is not going to scare people off. Three, three to like six would scare most people off. Above six, it would scare me off. <laughs> now that that being said, if you want to know the mathematics behind it, then you have to understand concepts like imaginary numbers, which right. is what is the square root of negative one. It's See, not. I understand that because we use that in um, in electronics engineering, and I, mm -hmm. I, that's that's what my associates do. I only have an yep. associate, but we did that in there because it's used in the calculations for both inductive and capacitive reactors. Mm -hmm. so, Which is crazy yeah, that an imaginary number that shouldn't exist pops up in all sorts well, of weird places. What's interesting, I, if I tell me if I'm wrong about this, um, either of you, if you remember, but um, it's Essentially, it's a number on an axis that's in a direction we cannot, in three dimensions, point. Can't point in that direction. We have X, Y, Z. The imaginary axis is one of these fourths. Is that accurate? That's one way to visualize it. Yeah, and that's again why these 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 sphere spherical visualizations of qubits are helpful to me. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, you know, I I've talked about this quite a lot because I think it's important for many people, um, and it was it relates to machine learning, again, it relates to quantum, is um, if, if you, like me, had um, inadequate math education, um, then there are a number of resources. And again, I consulted my favorite resources, just like I did when I was learning TensorFlow, which are the um, YouTuber Grant Sanderson, three blue, one brown. Um, and he shows imaginary numbers just the way you said. He like is a, an amazing expert in visualizations of advanced mathematical concepts. And I go to him over and over and over. Um, and also just going to Khan Academy and doing exercises because another aspect of quantum is matrix operations and linear algebra. And you know, if you don't do that every day, you're not gonna know it. Um, but I'm telling you, you can learn it. I mean, I'm, I'm now 60 years old and I learned that stuff when I was 52. 
Like that is per TensorFlow. Like, so don't tell me you can't learn it. You don't, I don't, that's just crap. You know, you can tell me you don't have time because it does right. take time. Okay. Sure. It really I'll be does. The one to tell, I'll be the one to tell you the time excuse is bogus, but, but that's, right, that's right. fine. But <laughs> the resources are for free on the web and they're high quality. Very so, nice. um, yeah, but the point is you have to figure out, I call it just in time math. Because, you know, we're not all going to get math degrees. We, sh we shouldn't have to. But that was really interesting in this book because we would, some people were more comfortable just going, okay, I'm just going to believe what the authors say. And some people could not be comfortable without knowing the math. Nice. They just couldn't. And so, you know, again, that's, you're going to have to decide what is, what works for you. And you can think about it from a developer, like how you use libraries in just in general. So when you use a library, what do you do? Do you just call the methods on the library and make sure, you know, maybe write a unit test around it? Or do you have to look at the source code? If you're a look at the source code of the library person, then you're going to have to learn more math. That's fair. So they, some people are willing to take the mathematical things on faith, I guess. Yeah, I'm a big visualization person. That's why I watch Grant Sanderson, because if I can get the picture in my head, that's enough math usually for me. For prototyping. Now, that being said, I haven't built anything with a QPU in production, and particularly for human health. You know, one of the things I have thought about is should I get a math degree? Because I could, mm -hmm. right? There's various yeah. ways to do it. And, um, you know, by just by signing up, I'm probably done half of it already. That That's the discipline, right? Of, sure. you know, should I get, you know, a math degree? Part of me is like, I should, I really should. You should, Lynn, and and you know I, you can agree with me on this. I'm I'm 58, and same thing. If you're doing active development, active software development, active data development, and and that's all around us, you're learning already. I mean, you have to to even keep up, and, and so, you know, and, and I I've shared this with Frank when I was a kid. People our age were in wheelchairs. They had canes and walkers. And, you know, I'm not trying to be boasty about this. And I certainly haven't done anything since. But when I was 50, I ran a half marathon. Right. You know, it took right. me two years to train for it. But I finished second from last. But I finished. <laughs> and, you know, so it's I would say this. I would restate what you just said by saying you're only 60. And you can do anything you want. You're still, and, and we bring, I know because I'm almost the same age, we bring all of these experiences and all of these confidence building exercises that we've enjoyed since we were in our teens. Yeah. We've learned so many different new things. Some of it's not useful anymore, but we definitely take the confidence. Can I learn this? Heck yeah. All I have to do is put my head down and make the problem quit first. I like that. Make the problem quit first. <laughs> I, I was uh, in my day job. I was, uh, I was uh, had to work on this demo when it's all written in React. And Lynn will get a kick out of this. I haven't touched user interface code since um, the demise of Silverlight and Windows Phone. And I refuse to ever write another line of XAML. But that's another. That's a rant for another day. <laughs> Lynn, Lynn gets it. She gets it because she was there. She was behind the firewall. She knows. Um, <laughs> but, um, I was just looking at the react code and I'm like, come on, man, I've, I've read books on quantum computing. Like this is not, this is not 
rocket science, right? This is this is not quantum physics. This is just JavaScript. So I bucked up, and I I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I was able to do get the demo to do what I want to do. So it's a, that same kind of spirit. If nothing else, if you tackle quantum computing, not a lot of other problems are as scary. That is true. Yes, because yep. it the cognitive load. I mean, we're all kind of we are all instructors as well as being technical builders. And um, one of the things I think we all work on is what I call the learning ladder. And and really what it is is you have hello world or hello worlds <laughs> if you're quantum. Uh, and then you and I then you ha- right and then you have you know QPU based traveling salesman algorithm optimization for AlphaFold, right? And you have nothing in the middle. And that's like the whole sweet spot of where we work. Like, how do we make those steps of the ladder, right? Um, Because we go on them ourselves, and then hopefully we build them solid enough so people can go behind or beside and work together and build those ladders. Um, Because that's what it's all about, I think. I mean, that's that's how we are contribute to our industry. Awesome. we usually we don't do the typical questions that we do on on data driven, but um, we're, do you think we've hit that quantum inflection point? That and particularly you'll have a good insight in in kind of the bioscience world, bioinformatics world. Do you think that they that, that do you have to explain the importance of quantum? Like have we hit the inflection point where everybody knows that they should be in it, or no, we're almost there. No, I think a couple of things. So fi- when fintech goes, that's like the first one, and they're in it. Um, the second one is when Amazon makes a service, um, that means that it's a commercially viable. When Bracket came out, is really, again, I was like, oh, I need to pay attention because Amazon doesn't make services unless there's customers for them. Um, and uh, no, I think that most uh, most verticals, they don't know. They, they, they need us. They need us to be, we are the, the foragers in the quantum forest and we need to find the paths because they don't have time. They're solving their problems. And like, I mean, really are people using, um, do they really understand GPUs and TPUs? Do they really understand FPGA? No, they don't. So they don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's uncharted territory, but Hey, that's fun. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's yeah, where the excitement is. Cases. Yeah. I think that's the title yeah. of the episode, Foragers in the Quantum Forest. I love it. I love that. I was going to say, too. Yeah, that's great. I think that would be great. a good title for a book, Lynn. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> you are too fast for me. Yes, that would be an awesome <laughs> title for a book series um, and, and the whole shooting match. And we usually ask where people can learn more um, about you and what you're up to, but you've already covered it um, between GitHub and uh, LinkedIn Learning, uh, those seem like two really good spots. Are there more places where people can keep up with what you're up to? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. And then um, when the mood strikes me, when I build something, I usually write an article on Medium um, okay, to talk cool. about what I did. So I have like a, you know, I haven't done anything in quantum. I also microblog on dev.2. So I have, I have dropped some stuff on, about quantum if you search on the tag. So um so it goes kind of like Twitter, Dev.2, Medium, LinkedIn Learning. Like again, I have this LinkedIn Learning That's your GitHub. Pipeline. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you have LinkedIn Learning, you should totally check out our existing courses because they are awesome. There's um, I I I, I enjoy them because they, they you do a really good job of breaking down stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of the last one I watched. It was I want to say it was the SageMaker one. Amazon Machine Learning. 
yeah, yeah I did, it was on I, machine I, learning. Yeah, I did. I did survey courses for machine learning, which a lot of people like because those don't really exist. I did both both for Google and for for Amazon, and it's you know hit start with the API level like recognition, and then go to the right. you know the full image on the you know, deep learning, and then go into the managed solution because again you don't really get that anywhere, and you kind of get well, I'm a data scientist, so I have to write everything from scratch. And this is applicable to quantum, kind of same thing, because they have the right. same sure. sort of uh, presentation of, you know, do you just get a machine with access to QPUs or do you use some library in the middle? Interesting. So I love the way you think about will... it. Sorry, Andy. That's okay. I, I love the way you think about it, because I do the same thing with blog posts. If, I'm, um, if I search around for some answer, and I don't know it's obscure when I start looking for it, but if I can't find the answer, I'm going to write one right. and get it out there. You know, and I love that that your mentality is, hey, there's there's this gap. We're missing a few steps here in a row on the learning ladder. I'm going to go in. I'm going to go ahead and put those in here for you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we definitely, if you definitely go check out Lynn Langett on on LinkedIn Learning, all our courses are awesome. I will definitely be eagerly awaiting the um, the course on the quantum computing on LinkedIn Learning, and yeah, um, yeah. no, I, I think it's great. I think it's great that you you know really looking forward to watching those YouTube videos because there's definitely stuff I struggle with. Because you're right, there is kind of that you know the content that's out there today, and I think here's the opportunity. I think this is what you you, you basically you kind of have the what is quantum. You have the level. 100 maybe even level like you know half 100 <laughs> or it's like level 700 where you're down in the weeds and i think that there's a particularly for developers and engineers uh i think that there's there's a there's a shortage of level 200 and 300 and and stuff that, that i think is a massive opportunity to build the rungs in the ladder that's the word i was looking for there you go awesome well you've been listening to uh lynn langett who is a triple threat now a multi-world thread threat um somewhere you know infinite possibilities between zero and one um you mean like quantum quantum oh. yes, I love, it. yes. <laughs> I love it a quantum threat now i see what you did uh, there brilliant brilliant awesome thanks for joining us and we look forward we'd love to have you back on the show to explain some of the the the, the finer points we, we talk a little bit about hadamard gate but i know there's also poly gates and this is funny, right? So, so I'm looking through. Might have been this book here, Quantum Computer. Everyone, who is this Pauly guy, and why is he like everywhere? Uh, and then uh, I read a, I read a book by Michu Kanko, kind of explaining the the history of kind of quantum physics and how it kind of came about. And I was like, oh, that's who this guy is. Okay, so he's kind of a, he's kind of important. So he has multiple gates named after him. Awesome. Very cool. I'll let the nice British lady end the show. Thanks for listening to Impact Quantum. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. Of course, you have subscribed to us. Haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? So, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.